You're listening to Unabridged, the Christian fiction audiobook podcast. I'm Alana Terry, bringing you engrossing, engaging Christian fiction in bite-sized segments you can take with you on the go. This season's Unabridged Christian fiction audiobook is Identity Theft, a suspense novel full of danger, intrigue, and mistaken identity set in the heart of rural Alaska. Identity Theft is written by me, Alana Terry, narrated by Becky Downey, and sponsored by the award-winning Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense Series, available in unabridged audiobook format exclusively from Audible. Visit alanaterry.com slash unabridged for details. And now, enjoy today's installment of Identity Theft, an Alaskan Refuge Christian Suspense audiobook. Chapter 11 Getting stranded on a stretch of the Glen Highway as scenic as Mendeltna might not have been quite so terrible if she had thought to bring bug spray with her. She locked herself in the car and killed three mosquitoes before the buzzing finally stopped. At least it wasn't too hot. Half an hour. It wasn't a big deal. It's not like she had anywhere to rush to in Anchorage. She didn't even know where she'd be spending the night. She should take advantage of the time to finish off some business, like telling the daycare she was leaving, and asking Kim if her sister knew of anybody in town who needed a nanny or house-sitter or roommate. But she was too mentally exhausted. She thought about her conversation with Raphael, how he said he had hardly slept more than a few hours last night. He was so excited. Sometimes she wondered why she wasn't more so, was it the religion thing? Raphael had always been a decent person, but it was strange to hear all those churchy things coming out of his mouth. He sounded like her foster dad. She had been thinking of Carl and Sandy more and more since Raphael showed up. She wouldn't be surprised if that was where her future would eventually take her. She had never really considered Anchorage the final destination, more like a time-out of sorts a chance to rest and revive and take inventory on what she wanted out of life. What she really wanted was her identity back. But even if that was safe, she wasn't sure how it would work. Would she just go to Drisclay and demand her old birth certificate and photo ID? What kind of paperwork would be involved in something like that? Would it be as formal as when she joined the Witness Protection Program and became Joe in the first place? What if Drisclay wouldn't cooperate? What if he was so offended she didn't stick it out in his program that he refused to give her the right papers back, refused to let her resume her old identity? As long as she was living the life she wanted, did it really matter? Why couldn't she do what Raphael had done, go back home but keep living under her new name? Well, she would have time to figure all that out in Anchorage. Right now, she just needed to wait needed to sit tight until Curtis got here. Why did it have to be him? Maybe because he was the only person she knew very well in Glen Allen, her only real friend, if he was even that anymore. There was so much she had to think about, so much to mull over. A car pulled up behind her, and she turned the emergency lights off. That was one nice thing about this part of the country. Roadside assistance didn't come from insurance companies. It came from Good Samaritans. She rolled down her window to wave the stranger past, but stopped when she saw who it was. What are you doing here? She stepped out of the car. Raphael was smiling his mischievous grin. 
What are you doing here? Car trouble, she admitted. Can I help? Not unless you've gotten handier with mechanics than you were four years ago. They both chuckled. It felt good to laugh. But really, she said, what are you doing here? He shrugged. I figured I'd hit the road. There wasn't much to do in Glen Allen but sit around and watch the maids clean the rooms. I left not long after you did. Good thing, too, I guess. He glanced at her car. Do you know what's wrong? I have someone coming over to take a look. She didn't want to admit the whole thing had been her fault. Why hadn't she let Curtis take a look at the oil when he offered? Raphael just nodded. She was glad he didn't pry. Want to hop in? he asked. We're going the same way. She didn't turn him down automatically. She needed her car for the money, but then again, how could she sell a vehicle that didn't work? She still felt bad about pulling Curtis away from his day off, too, and would be happy to tell him he didn't have to come out after all. More than anything, she would be glad for an excuse to not see him again, at least not right away. You know what, she said, surprising herself by how readily she made up her mind. I think I'll do that, if you're sure it's okay with you. He gave a half grin. Just don't spill your coke on my seat like you did driving to that show in Baltimore. You remember that? She laughed and popped open her trunk. That's not fair. I would have never spilled it if you hadn't sped around that corner. How was I supposed to know there were speed bumps all up and down that road? He asked, grabbing her two bags. I don't know, she countered playfully. Maybe you could have read one of the signs on the road, or is that too easy of an answer? She took the Costco box and carried it to his back seat. Is there room for all this? He took down his bike from its rack and hefted her things into his trunk. Oh yeah, you know me, still traveling light after all these years. Except now I travel with the Holy Spirit. Her smile dropped. Her neck and shoulders ached with heaviness. What's wrong? he asked. Two minutes. We almost made it two whole minutes before you started talking church. He hooked his bike back into the rack. Does it offend you? She shook her head. It's not that. It's just, I feel like I hardly know you anymore. You sound like my dad when he preaches, and I just... He tucked a strand of hair behind her ear. Hey, it's cool. I don't want to shove anything down your throat. But you know me, when I get a good thing going for me, I get excited. I know, and I didn't mean to sound critical. It's just, she didn't know how to finish. A lot has happened these past four years. It's going to take us some time. Yeah. They both got into their seats. So what are you going to do about your car? He asked. She wished she could just leave it there and let someone else deal with it. I guess I'll see if my friend can tow it back to Glen Allen for me. You can say his name, you know. Lacey avoided his eyes. The trooper you were seeing. He has a name, I assume. Yeah. She bit her lip. Hey, do you mind if I hop out and make a phone call real quick? I'll be right back. Sure. He still had that same jocular smile. He glanced around once. Just don't take too long. These bugs are terrible.
Chapter 12 A minute later, Lacey was back in Raphael's car, on the highway, speeding toward Anchorage. She hadn't been able to get hold of Curtis, but she left a message to tell him she had a ride and to ask him if he'd mind towing the car to Glen Allen until she figured out what to do with it. She offered to pay him for his time once she got settled in, even though she knew he'd never take her money. She still wasn't sure she had made the right decision, but if the car was busted, it could be days or weeks before she got out of Glen Allen. By then, she might lose her fortitude. She had to do this now. It was the only way. She tried not to think about Curtis. She should have never asked him for help with the car in the first place. Oh well, it was too late now. He was probably already on the road, already in a no-coverage zone. Should she have left him a note on her dashboard to explain what was happening? The longer they drove, the more she realized she wouldn't be coming back to Glen Allen. She was tired of the daycare, sick of the bratty attitudes, the whiny voices, the kids complaining when they had no idea how good their lives really were. She was tired of everything, really, tired of the long winters, the bug-infested summers. There was no fall to speak of here, and spring just meant everything was gray and mushy while the piles of snow melted. You tired? Raphael asked, stealing a quick glance at her. Yeah. She was surprised again at how uncomfortable it was with him. Ironic, really, that she had dreamed for so long of meeting him again, and now that they were in the same car, she could hardly put two words together. Raphael put on his sunglasses. I've got some snacks in the back. You hungry? No, thanks. So you got everything you'll need? Passport? All that stuff from witness protection? She nodded, tired of the awkward chit-chat, and stared at the scenery. Even in summer, the evergreens along this stretch of the highway looked dried out and dead, more brown on top than green. Why did everyone always talk about how beautiful Alaska was? Was there anything she would miss about life out here? There was Curtis, of course, but he had never really known her. Sure, he put enough details together to figure out her true identity, but that didn't mean he knew her. He didn't know her favorite Boston restaurants, the kind of paintings she was drawn to, which conductors of which East Coast symphonies she liked best. He didn't know she was on first-name basis with a handful of art critics, or that she had once studied theater under a Tony Award nominee. She thought she would be relieved to leave Glen Allen. Where was the sense of freedom she had expected? Change is always hard, she reminded herself, but at least this was one change she could control, not like her placement in Glen Allen four years ago. So why did she feel like a little girl again, getting driven from one foster home to another? I hope your car's all right. Raphael and she had never struggled in the past to find things to talk about. What was the problem? He took a deep breath as if he was about to speak, but remained silent. She grabbed her purse and fumbled through the contents, unsure what in particular she was searching for. What do you need? he asked. Just looking for my Dramamine. He smiled. You and your motion sickness. I guess some things don't change, do they? Not on these windy roads, she murmured. 
and remembered she had used the last pill on her most recent trip to town with Curtis. Raphael ducked down and craned his neck. Whoa, look at that. Is that a bald eagle? He pointed at a shadow out his window. Lacey couldn't remember how many eagles she had spotted before she stopped seeing them as beautiful, majestic creatures and started viewing them as the disgusting rot-eaters they really were. Careful, she resisted the urge to reach over and steer for him. I'm paying attention. He put both hands back on the wheel. Sorry, it's just this part of the highway makes me nervous. They were speeding along the edge of a mountain, a single lane away from a 500-foot cliff. I'll be careful, Raphael promised. You might want to slow down a little. She eyed his speedometer. He wasn't used to this kind of driving. The East Coast didn't have mountain stretches like this, not with such terrifying drop-offs. They also believed in something called guardrails. As you wish. The familiar hint of mischief was back in his voice, and Lacey realized he hadn't spoken about his new zeal for the Bible or Christianity since they got on the road. Had she offended him in Mendeltna? So, he went on, have you thought about calling Carl and Sandy? I know they'd love to hear from you. There was so much she wanted to tell him about her conversation with Drisclay, about how Curtis had gotten in touch with her foster parents. That would be nice, was all she replied. She stared out the window and wondered for the second time if she should ask him to turn around. How rude could she be, expecting Curtis to tow her car all the way to Glen Allen for her when she doubted she'd ever return? She had just dumped it in his lap on his day off, expecting him to drag Madeline out of the bath, get her dressed, drive twenty minutes, hook his truck up. Could she get any more selfish? She pulled out her phone. Hey, would it be weird for you if I called just to check in about the car? I feel pretty bad just dropping it on him like that. Of course not. Lacey turned on her phone and then flipped it back off. Stupid cell phone reception. Not there, Raphael asked. Bad coverage, stupid state. Want to turn around, meet him back there? The last thing Lacey needed was to be around both Raphael and Curtis at once. Her life was confusing enough already. She wasn't technically dating either one of them, but on the other hand, she hadn't broken up with them either. Of course, you can't break up with somebody who's been murdered. She'd been right about the detectives faking Raphael's death, a trick from the folks at Witness Protection so everyone would think he was murdered until he appeared at the trial. She had waited, hoped. Why weren't you there? She asked quietly. What? At the trial, she explained. I kept expecting them to call you to testify. I kept hoping you'd show up, but you never did. That's a good question. His voice was strained, a little more uncertain, not like Raphael at all. He glanced over at her and sighed. Listen, I need to make a confession. You're not going to like it. You've been listening to Identity Theft by Alana Terry. 
Today's episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast is sponsored by the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense Series. Current Audible listeners can get the first three books for just one credit. New subscribers can dive into this best-selling series free with your Audible trial. Visit alanaterry.com slash unabridged to download the Kennedy Stern Christian Suspense audiobooks today. Just be prepared to stay up late. 